Father Anthony, what do I have in my hand? What am I drinking out of? You have a Slurpee! Oh, good. Get that ASMR. That's what the people like. <laughs> I'm so tired. I just... I don't I, know. I, I don't, how, do, how, do, how do parents do it? They usually... I think they drink coffee. Or they just... I think more often than not, they just have to. They just have to keep going or else their children die. <laughs> they have to keep being parents and going to their jobs and stuff. And... So you just keep going, I, I assume. I'm just, I'm just always in awe because yeah, kids wake up early and parents are forced to do so too. Um, no, I well, I, I had to, I have to be up early for the next two weeks, very yeah. early, like five a.m., five a.m. It's too early. Every, every Monday to Friday for two weeks. Ridiculous. Because I'm in, I'm in school right now. Wow. As much as yes. one can be in school. In this yes. time. Yes. Yes. So I was supposed to be in England right now. We were going to have some episodes recorded beforehand so I could just go to England and just totally enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I had a I had a trip planned to Rome for a weekend and everything. That, that's, that's, all, that's all gone now, obviously. Um, but school continues on. So I'm in my, um, what we call the residential period of my doctoral program. And it's all online this year, but it's still all UK time. So if it was going to be any earlier, I'd be like, uh, no, <laughs> they, this is as early as I'm going. I'm sorry. Yeah. Everyone, I, I, almost, I look back and I'm like, I should have gone like Toronto or something like that for two weeks just to just to be on a closer time zone. Oh, just to get, yeah, get a few extra hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, so yeah, so we're on our residential period. So I got to do... Um, I'm gonna present a paper on Wednesday, just like what's my progress like, which has been a little bit slower than I would have liked this first year, but um, I've got a, I got a good, I learned some things this year too, which is good, like about myself as well in terms of organizing and habits, and so I'm feeling pretty good about things. Uh, it's still a little nerve wracking because you're being judged, right? Mm -hmm. Even after your first year, you worry, am I doing enough work? Am I up to snuff enough? And Imposter syndrome and all that fun stuff, right? No, right. Yeah. So, uh, so we're doing that for the next two weeks. So, listening to presentations, talking about them, and everything. And it's a nice little group of students. There's about twelve doctoral students in the program who are at least online with us there. So that's really cool. And uh, getting to again, it'd be neat. I think the thing I'm missing is when you're at, when you're doing stuff like this. It's around the lunch table, the dinner table, where you're just having re really interesting and intense discussions uh, that excites you. And being in the academic environment just puts you full on for those two weeks of study mm -hmm. and it's a little bit harder when you're still at home right a little bit yeah. harder yeah but in it in, in kind of i had like two intro things so i'm just going to do them both because like in connection with this <clears throat> i don't know if you saw this on twitter but i finished building something yesterday oh i did see this yes you had so, a little project yes i um i'm horrible with anything crafty or anything that requires tools mm -hmm. or gardening. No, can't do it. I can't keep attention long enough to do anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, but I was like, when I started my doctor program, I'm like, I need to do something with my hands though, because like when you're in your head all the time, it's very hard to get out of there. And yeah. so you just need something that's just gonna take your attention elsewhere, right? So uh, when I was in the States last year, I saw a little deal on um, the Lego Saturn V rocket, which is about 2,200 pieces. Mm -hmm. And um, I started it a long time ago. Then I took a break because I kept on forgetting to order a miss or to place a, a replacement piece order with Lego because they missed a piece and I couldn't finish it without the piece. So I finally got it last week and I finished it last night. It's huge. Like it's it it's is. to my left right now. It's like three and a half feet tall. It's pretty cool looking. It is so cool. Like I feel a sense of accomplishment, and I feel a sense of of pride in my project, and it just looks pretty darn cool. So now I'm starting to think, what's my next Lego thing that I'm going to buy? Question. Okay. Have you held the rocket and run around your rectory making whoosh <laughs> sounds yet? <laughs> I, I have held it. I have not done that for two reasons. A, uh, if I drop it. <laughs> oh, it would be so sad. All the pieces crashed to the floor. <laughs> right, exactly. Secondly, yeah. um, for some reason, this is the one little thing, and I have a friend who did the same Lego project, and I'm going to have to ask him. The top half 
isn't connecting like when i try to place the top half into the bottom half mm-hmm. it's pushing out the walls on the bottom half at the top and so it's not connecting properly it's standing fine but it it's just not connecting properly so i gotta find out what the deal is that's very important because if the stages don't work on liftoff it's gonna be a it's gonna be a disaster mm-hmm Plus, it was kind of a neat little happenstance that it was this weekend with the uh, SpaceX project finishing. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of cool. That was kind of a good thing. That thing took off fast. Yeah, it's a rocket. Well, yeah, but like usually there's a bit of a delay as it's kind of building up thrust. But this one just they 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 hit ignite and it just went. It was Mm -hmm. I was impressed. It was a really cool thing. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so that's that's what's up with me. So welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony, and I just got back from spiritual direction. So I was wondering why you looked. I was wondering why your soul looked bruised. My soul? No, it was good. It was. It's not (laughs) bruised. It's it's all cleaned up, Father Harrison. Ah, somebody. No sin gang. Yeah, no sin gang. So I uh, been going the same spiritual director for wow, almost four years now, and. I hadn't gone to confession in a long time because I go to him because I don't really want to go to the other priests I work with and it just an opportunity did not present itself. So I went to confession. It was delightful. And uh, it was, it's tough. It's tough to, I usually go once a month, but it's mm-hmm. tough to unpack like three months of stuff that's been yeah. going on because a lot of stuff has been going on. But this beautiful thing kept happening where I felt like I was rambling and then he would say, no, I understand. And then he would give me an insight and I was like, Yes excellent i feel directed so it was really really good so did that and then to celebrate my 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 shiny new soul and my mind at ease and all that i went to wendy's and i got some spicy nuggets i was gonna say you went to wendy's didn't you i did and it was delightful so it's good it's good it feels good to be back on track uh spiritually and uh it's just delightful nice awesome Anything else? That's it? That's it? It's just, I mean, it's good. It's just good. Spirit direction's good. Yes. And confession's good. So, uh, actually, there is one more thing. So, <clears throat> okay. uh, I'm at my brother's house. It's it's Monday, the day off when, when we are recording. And uh, normally, Nick will, will make me a coffee. He'll make me a latte with his fancy um, espresso machine. Mm-hmm. He has not done mm-hmm. so today. So, he's this? downstairs. And I'm going to text him right now. I want to see if he'll bring me a latte before we're done recording or not. This will be a, a fun experience. See if he'll do it. Awesome. Why didn't he make you a latte in the morning? Well, uh, I woke up late, and he was doing, um, what's it, uh, work. work. He was doing work. So, he, he didn't... <laughs> so actually, it's kind of neat what he's doing. So they, uh, uh, some, a group in my diocese, they're doing kind of like uh, every month a kind of virtual retreat sort of thing. And so they asked him to help out with it this time. And Nick's very good, not with just audio, but video stuff. So he was mm-hmm. filming sketches of himself and like mm-hmm. fixing up the video. He also does video stuff for his parish. So he was doing that all day. And I asked him for a coffee earlier and he said no, because I am too much in the groove. And I respectfully allow that to happen because I am a good sibling. He said no to a priest though. Yeah, no, no, he's going to go to hell. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I was was just very gracious about it. You just condescended. You you emptied yourself in this Mm -hmm. moment. But You were being Christ-like, and he wasn't. (laughs) But much like like Jesus speaking to Peter after the resurrection, uh, Nick has a chance for reparation right now. He can tell me if he loves me by bringing me a coffee. Do you latte me? Do you latte me? Yes, Lord. You know I drink coffee, you. (laughs) No. Peter, do you latte me? Yes, Lord. You know I drip coffee. Do you drip coffee me? And then Peter was hurt. <laughs> he was. He was distressed. <laughs> yes. Good. Cool. Well, let's yes. Let's see if he brings you this coffee. And as we await uh, your caffeination, uh, let's enter into the Summa Tweetologica.
So the Summa Theologica was St. Thomas's summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. And I was going to do this one last week, but I decided to hold off for this week. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> from Father Matt Fish, our good friend, the great. The great the Matt Fish. The ever-reverent. Uh, reverent? Anyways. Reverent. Yes, reverent, too. Yes, I guess he is. Oh, well, I guess he is reverent. Anyways. Uh, sure at Father Matt Fish. Yes. No program. No themed liturgy. No small group, no mixer, no video, no conference, no podcast, no book, no priest charisma. None will bring your children back to the church like your fervent prayer and openly talking with them about the faith you practice over many years. And he's got a, as is his style, he's got a whole thread there. Um, But just, I thought that was a great, great and important point. Um, because we always are trying to fix the problem. Right. But it's always an externalization thing. If the church will only do this, right? Right. If the church will only do this conference, if if only somebody could will do this programming or yes, or this or a certain podcast or whatever it might be. If only the church would get these things going, my kids would come back to church. Now I don't think Father Matt even himself would discount discount these things as important in the life of the church, because um, if he did, we would have to fight him, because we have a we're literally on a podcast right now. Mm-hmm. And I think at least you could take him. I don't have a chance, but Matt Fish is an intimidating person. Like he's nice. Oh, he's, he's nice. He's also yeah, but yeah, I but would if not. If anyone fight him could ever. beat me up, it'd be Matt Fish. That's true. That's true. So, anyways, but um, the. He's not discounting these things, but he's trying to get to this idea that, so for example, if your children are away from the faith, the person who is going to be more most apt to bringing them back is someone who has a close personal encounter with them, which is either a sibling or a parent, etc. And just that, like, that, that slow witness, right? If they're not going to church, just say, hey, hey mom and dad, how was your weekend? You said, oh, dude, that's great. You know, father gave a great homily on Sunday. And it's not... You don't want to be pushy about it, obviously, but mm-hmm. just like make it naturally part of your life and show them that this is a natural good in your life almost like, okay, I mean, obviously it's a supernatural good, but I mean, like, it's just, it's such a part of your life that it doesn't seem as an imposition. Like you're trying to say, get them into a corner about faith, but just, just natural um, way of speaking about going to church and that your life of faith can be a great witness. And then it's really important because we have to stop externalizing the problem and start taking responsibility for our own families and, and networks of friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so before I make a comment, I've heard the coffee beans grinding downstairs. So there's your update on Anthony's coffee situation. Uh, this is great. This is, this is great. This is going to be like a whole thing for this podcast, and I love Maybe, it. Maybe, at least for another 15 minutes. Okay. Uh, so I think the, the, the comment you made about fixing... I think it's very important because, especially in America, in if you we're we're kind of used to being able to fix things. If you have enough money, you can fix something, or you can go to the store and you can buy something, or you can make it happen. And then we run up against the things of faith. All of a sudden, that same dynamic is not at play, and we can get very frustrated with how patient the Lord is with us, and we can forget that this is about relationship and not about a fix. You can't just like fix someone and give them faith. If if you could, then our job as priests would be it'd be a lot easier. Uh, but that's not how it works. So, in that constant prayer and praying for your loved ones to join the church, more and more, as you pray with that, one of the things the Lord is going to do is conform your heart to His. This is the thing that happens in intercessory prayer. This is why the Lord asks us to pray constantly, because. What we are asking for becomes more and more in line with what God desires for us. And when those things line up, that creates avenues of grace. So even as you're praying for other people, the Lord is working on your own soul and allowing your heart to open up more and more to his grace. So we have to be patient. Very often we have to be long-suffering and to realize that 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 difficulty in patience, that difficulty in long-suffering, even that process, it's not a bad thing. It's often a painful thing, but it's not a bad thing. And at the end of the day, we have to trust that God loves our loved ones even more than we do. So it's really a practice in trusting the Lord and conforming your will to his. And so this is encouragement. If it hasn't happened yet, keep going. This is all part of God's plan for both you and for the one you're praying for. 
Yeah, like I think that's a great. Yeah, because when it's something that you want for your own sake, maybe again, these it's not that it's wrong motives. It's just sometimes our motives get mixed, like a, a selfish desire or need to have our kids in the church for whatever reason. It's going to come out the wrong way, and it might actually distance them from the church even more, and from you experiencing encountering as you were just talking about, like God's will. So it's yeah, it's this. Take the patience God is asking of you with your children and multiply it by an infinity. And that's how much patience God has with us. Yes, it's true. Right? And so that's what God wants you to be in t- touch with. Yeah. So what do you got? This is from Nicholas. Not This is not producer Nick. This is from at, wow, it's Nicholas. And he says, when I first joined Twitter, I was maybe 15. And within a few weeks became suddenly convinced that, a new, that the new mass was horrendous. That it was a scandal for women to wear pants. That the Pope was a modernist. I had to learn, unlearn that all, and it was a very difficult process. And he goes to continue uh, his experience with that. But yeah, this is a danger that we see time and time again when people go online uh, who are Catholic, because there are a lot of sources out there with a lot of different opinions, not all of which are formed within the heart and the mind of the church. But it's an understandable thing that happens, because very often a convert or a a zealous person may be kind of alone in their zeal. Maybe they don't have a community of faithful Catholics around them. So they go to the internet to find this, but you may run into people who are unformed and who have their own agenda. And that can be really damaging to a soul and you can be led astray very easily. Like I said, a lot of these different organizations or people or influencers, they are certainly Catholic in name, maybe in their desire as well, but they have a misunderstanding of what the church really is. So a good test for this is, okay, is what I'm reading, is what I'm consuming, is this giving me more peace? Am I at peace? And if you're not at peace, then what you're consuming, what you're taking into yourself is not coming from God. That doesn't mean like, okay, so you may learn more about church scandal, right? And that's an important thing to, to know about. And that may disturb you, but does it rob your peace completely? That's not, that's not a good thing. Um, is this a thing that's feeding into an impotent anger? Like anger is not a bad thing. Anger ideally should move us to correct some sort of wrongdoing, but we can't correct every wrongdoing. So sometimes that anger becomes uh, impotent and self-indulgent. And all these things make us people who, who, who really do not reflect Christ. We look just like any other um, shill from a political party, or we look like uh, people with an agenda that is other than Christ. So it's a, it's a very understandable trap to fall into. And I've seen a lot of people do this. And what's even more difficult and is coming out of that is letting your heart be softened by the truth and the love and the mercy of God. So to have the courage to back away from some of your extreme positions, to get back more in line with the true mind of the church, that is a difficult process. But for anyone who goes through it, like you know Nick has here, uh, that's a wonderful thing and a good witness to share. You know, I, I do recognize, and I'm, a, I'm actually a pretty big believer that online witness can be a means to bringing people back to the church. Mm-hmm. The danger becomes when that becomes our community, our only community, or our only community at least. Yeah, and I would, or or our primary community. Yeah, even right. Um, it it's good to be online. Uh, it's good to make friends online, etc. Um, again, I'm I'm pretty hopeful in those regards but one's online posting or one trying to learn about the faith through twitter online and stuff like that the people who you listen to and speak to ought to be almost like first encouraging and then just kind of almost like naturally deflecting you towards your local parish right like it's it's in your local space that you will actually encounter the church in in her most concrete form and it's there that you'll be formed and largely hopefully i mean i listen we all know there is some crazy stuff even in churches and parishes he there certainly <clears throat> is right but I, I i mean i think you and i would agree that most pastors are pretty good guys right there's right? yeah yeah so you're gonna get at least level-headed you're gonna get the church at a, in a more level-headed way locally and so it's good to discover these things online, but then like 
make that your access point to wanting to learn about your faith locally and, and, you know, take your priest out for coffee or something like that and say, I got a bunch of questions and, and say, you know, I've been reading this online. I'm not, you know, they're, they sound pretty convincing. Why is this the case? And, and, or why, why is this, is this right or wrong? And, and, and they can help purify you that way. I mean, it's good that you, it's good that Nicholas discovered this himself over time and that's a great thing, but I just think like it's dangerous when the online community becomes the end and not the means to our integration into the life yes. of the church. I'm going to be crazy. Okay. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, uh, double up on father Matt fish. Wow. Do you know this, okay. Do you know what this means? What does this mean? We got to get him on. Like this is, we keep on saying we got to bring him on, but like we actually have to get him on. I think that'd be a good idea. Yes. All right. So father, wait, Oh, wait, wait. Here's, it's here. It's here. Here's your coffee. Thank you, Nick. You need anything else? Princess. Do you want, <laughs> I'm, um, do you, <laughs> This is great. This is great. It's good content. Content is king. Do you king. want to say anything to the people? Good people. When Anthony's on his, when Father Anthony's on his date, well, no, when he, when he, when he, when he's a priest, when he's regular days of work, yeah, he's holy. I'm usually holy. He's got a uh, a demeanor that says priest. Yes. He um, <laughs> he's got the the mind of a philosopher and a theologian. Wow. He uh. He does the he understands the culture very well. Mm-hmm. He has an interior life. I, I do. When he comes to my house for his day off, it's kind of like a garbage fire. Wow. He's just like Nick, make me a coffee. Why don't you have any food in the house? But man, he's a good brother. So enjoy your coffee. Yeah, and you enjoy editing this podcast later. Get out of here. We're recording. <laughs> That was good content. Good. All right. So Father Matt says this. So this is um, in regards to churches reopening. Trusting Providence, I can accept whatever our bishops decide. But were we to have mass without communion for a while, in my in my opinion, it could be a great gift for the church. Why? In most places, the reception of communion has become a necessary automatic part of the mass to to um, the deleterious effect. Did I say that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, good. Namely, the obscuring of the preeminence of the sacrifice of the Mass, as well as concomitant with the great neglect of confession, a frequent occasion of sacrilege. Sadly, for many, the Mass has been reduced to two focal points, the homily and communion. That is Lutheranism. I like, I like it. Okay, okay, so... I, like it a lot. I always feel I need to temper things right away because I know people are freaking out. Uh, but I think there's something very important being said here. It's tough. It's, these kind of subtleties are things that in normal times we have the luxury of kind of passing over. But once we get to a time of, uh, of crisis, of difficulty, the things that we have not thought deeply about, be, just they, they arise and now we have to deal with them. So indeed, during this time, it's been revealed that there's a deep understanding of everything that the mass is. And I, I like I said, I've, I've struggled with this as well because a lot of my preaching in the past few years has been very much on the reception of the Eucharist and what it is and how important it is. Now, all of a sudden we're in a situation where people haven't received the Eucharist in weeks and weeks. And as we begin to reopen, we're trying to figure out ways to make reception of the Eucharist happen. But as we do that, it becomes... <laughs> It can be very, very difficult. Like even the idea of having drive-in masses. Part of me really likes that idea because that doesn't mean that means I don't have to turn people away at the door. It means we don't have to come up with difficult ways of seeing who gets in, who gets out. Okay, but then like the reception of communion happens, and okay, what's going to happen? Are we going to give people communion and then they're going? Are they going to literally drive away afterwards? Uh, or even something like small, like what if someone's in the back seat and you can't reach them in the back seat? Well, you can't give communion to someone and they give it to someone else because they are not allowed to, to do that. It's called self-communication. Okay, well, why is that a problem? When we have um, lots of extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, lay people giving out communion, this doesn't seem like such a big deal. Why can't people in the car do it? And we take a, st- a huge step back and look more deeply at some of these aspects. What is the Mass? What is going on? How do we handle the sacred? Because all of these little signs and symbols have influenced us in a certain way, in a certain way of thinking. 
That's all to say, to get back to Matt Fish's point, that we need to remember that the Mass itself is a good thing. The Mass itself is, is entering into the one sacrifice of Christ. It is efficacious there. in us without us yeah. even receiving communion. Exactly. Like, it's important to even just be there and to offer your spiritual sacrifices and to be present and within Christ in that moment. There's untold beauty and and grace that comes from that moment, but we forget that because we think so often of Mass is the place where I get communion. And that's not to say receiving communion is a bad thing. It's it's obviously a good thing. Receiving the fruit from the tree of life. Yeah, of course we want to do that. But I've even heard some priests say things like, well, what's the point of having Mass if no one can receive communion? And that very much disappoints and distresses me because that means we, we've forgotten what the Mass is. So entering into times of, of fasting, of removing ourselves from a good thing to, in order to appreciate it more, I think this is something that should be considered. And maybe it's going to be forced upon us because of our situation. If it is forced upon us because of our situation, we need not panic, but enter into the moment. Because even in crazy situations, we can always ask ourselves, what is Christ teaching me right now? Yeah. Yeah, so... I think your last point there especially is really important because that's really the disposition we should always have in the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Jesus, how are you drawing me into the mystery of your life Like in this? Because you are. Like, this idea that because we don't have the Eucharist, we are separated from Jesus is just bonkers. Yeah. Honestly. like, mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage like, people who, who who see it that way okay i'm just saying but it's i mean there's a whole other thing about how we have to kind of reapproach what the eucharist is but um but christ is really through your baptism christ is really and truly there the mass is really being efficacious for the whole life of the church um and if we and i think he makes what i liked about his point too though in all this was he's not wrong in that we see the Eucharist and the homily as the high points of the Mass for us. Right? It's very rare that someone will come up to you and say, Hey, Father, thanks for saying Mass. But they'll say, well, but they'll say Great Homily. You know, the thing is, though, in, in my community, because it's an older community, which has had some, I guess, uh, more old-fashioned priests in the past, I will get that a lot. Hmm. Hmm. And that's a really nice thing to hear. Uh, like, like people also, also because um, part of my grouping of seven different churches at one point in time, uh, one of those groupings before we came together as one didn't have a regular priest. And still, when I go and say mass there, they make it a point to thank me for saying mass, hmm. which is like it, that that absence of having a regular priest has increased right. in their in their heart the knowledge that like, oh, this is a really beautiful thing to have. Mm-hmm. So, I just want to shout out my community, but oh, yeah, the point no, no, you're making no, no, was yeah. right. <laughs> right but it's just like, but he, he's got a point that it's a privilege to just be present at the sacrifice. And that, that the homily is, it's funny in a way, like actually, I remember this actually, this is, a, um, I remember reading this about uh, St. John Henry Newman, because mm-hmm. we all know he was like people would travel all over England to go hear him preach, even though, by the way, he was actually like in terms of like voice and tone and stuff like that. He was, Oh, his style was very, yes. Super duper dry. He would like just stand up there and just read the pages, but it was so well written and it was just so evocative that it just drew people in. Right. He threw out his whole style of preaching when he became a Catholic priest and he got very basic and he everything everything that made him a good preacher was lost, and he did that on purpose when he became a priest because he just knew Catholics weren't Catholics weren't used to good preaching. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it even gets me in the sense like, should we even maybe I hate to say it, should we downgrade our preaching a bit so that the sacrifice itself can be emphasized again? Now, at the same, now I'm not saying I'm not saying we. Do, it's a question. I don't. I think there's a way to do it where you can have good preaching and still emphasize the sacrifice. You don't have to do one at the expense of the other because good liturgy ought not to. Well, what's the point right? of the liturgy of the word? It's to right. open up our hearts to what's going to happen in the liturgy of the Eucharist. And so often, 
we, we desire our, our preaching to be about everything, to be about the topics of the day, to be about this, to be about that, to be about catechesis. And, and you can definitely incorporate those things, but it should really, the, the preaching should lead us and prepare our hearts for the yeah. holy sacrifice. So yeah. to, I, I don't think we need to dumb down our preaching because, I mean, Father Harrison, you and I, right. we're just such amazing preachers. I don't know if we we're, we're even capable of dumbing down our preaching and making it bad. Like, you can trip and fall, Father Harrison, and preach an amazing homily by accident, right? So we, we throw out that idea. But one thing we can do is to make our preaching more liturgical. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I think it just means we have to do some more catechesis in our preaching about showing people this is what's happening here and even perhaps develop a homily one day to note the importance of eucharistic fasting yeah so yeah anyways lots to say on that one yeah perhaps we'll have them on the show one day to talk about it yeah, we'll see we'll so see so this is from father ambrose at honey tongue muse and uh it's it's a little bit of a of a, a quaint tweet but i think i'm going to use it to talk about something more serious um something silly but into something more serious so his tweet is, coffee with the pastor this morning. Me. Apparently, there's going to be protests in Dayton later today. I was thinking about going to pray a rosary. Pastor, if you get arrested, I still expect you to be on time for your morning masses. So first of all, I just, it's, I love this story. It's a delightful story. You see, like... <laughs> The things that the pastor is concerned of, like, I've got to keep my parish running, and yes, you can go do your thing, but make sure you're in time for masses. And I'm sure there's a little bit of, like, uh, uh, tongue-in-cheek with that as well. But I do think we need to take a moment to talk about everything that's been going on. Ever since the, uh, the death of George Floyd, the um, police brutality that led to his death, um, all the protests that have been going on, and I've been going back and forth with what to say and how to say it, uh, because on one hand, you know, just to be very upfront and honest about it, I come from an upper class white family. I grew up in suburbia. I do not have the same experiences that generations of black people in this country have. And I want to be sensitive to that. But also, I'm a Catholic priest. And a priest has something to say. And what the priest has to say is the gospel. And that applies to the entire world, right? And so... I don't think it's 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 helpful to talk about policy, at least coming from me, from a priest. I don't think it's it's almost what I do think we do need to say is that we need to love each other. I don't mean that sound quaint and whatsoever. I keep thinking about this story that I heard somewhere in seminary. It's a it's a legend about Saint John the Apostle, but it rings incredibly true. That at the end of his life, at, when he was a very old man, whenever he, he would preach, he would only say one thing when he got up to preach. He would just say, love one another. And this is coming from the apostle that laid his head against the heart of Jesus Christ. The apostle that in the East, they call him the theologian. This is the man who was gifted with the mysteries of God. He wrote the gospel of John, the, the letters uh, that he wrote are so full of love, but at the end of his life, how did he encompass all of that wisdom, all of that insight? By saying, love one another. And no, we can't live someone, else ex someone else's experience, and we shouldn't pretend that we can live someone else's experience. But you know what we can do? We can listen. We can be there for each other. We can love each other. We can seek justice. And that justice always needs to be, along with that, to seek love for each other as fellow human beings, as Christians, as brothers and sisters who all have the same father, and that we are all radically equal as we kneel before the foot of the cross. And it is God's desire to bring us all together into a perfect society called the church. And we need to keep that in mind as all of this goes on. And so that's what I want to say about everything. Gotcha. I haven't, I'll be frank, I haven't known what to say. Yeah. And I think part of it is things are, I mean, things aren't perfect in Canada, but they're a lot different. Sure. <laughs> um, my experience growing up and, and 
talking to friends in high school who well first yeah i don't even know you see i don't even know what to say i don't want to it's just racial profiling it happens up here mm-hmm. but not it seems to the same degree and one racial profile is too much right um so i feel like it's weird it's like i i, I well, it's tough to speak about because it seems that everyone wants to pick apart everything someone tries to say about this because everyone wants to say or do or struggle to find the right thing. And if they feel powerless to do or say the right thing, very often they will turn that energy into attacking anyone who says anything. And so maybe not a lot, like I said, maybe not a lot needs to be said as much as we need to do a better job of listening and of uh, preaching the eternal truths of the gospel and to make that a part of our lives and part of our lives that we live actively as well. So just even with this, you know, uh, Father Ambrose wanted to go to the protests and pray a rosary. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's bringing the gospel into this very difficult situation uh, to try to bring God's grace and to heal hearts and to, you know, unite us. So... I, that's why I feel bad because I, I kind of sprung this on you because I wanted to talk about it, but I didn't tell you I was going to talk about it. Yeah. So don't feel bad. It's my fault for being a bad co-host. No, no. I mean, like, obviously, no, no. But it's just, I I mean, obviously, I guess for me, it's just more, everything that's happened is wrong with regards to the whole George Floyd thing. Like, it's, it's wrong. Right. It, it Categorically, it's wrong. It, and it's horrendous. And and it cries up for justice. And um, I'm not the one, though, to say what that justice should look like. Right. I don't think it's our job to talk policy about this. Right, right. I think there are and, good and Catholic so thinkers who can. Um, yeah. So I, I put that all just to say, like, also then, too, it's hard for me to talk about because, like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, do I? I'm just going to shut up. That's okay. <laughs> because I, just, I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say, except that all I can do is pray. Mm-hmm. Really, because that's all I know what to do right now. And I think for so many people who feel, um, who feel deep and genuine sadness or deep and genuine anger and have no idea what to do with that, that's what you bring to prayer. And that's what you bring to the foot of the cross. Uh, you do have a job, an active job. Um, and part of that is deep and sincere intercessory prayer, asking God to have mercy on us all. Uh, so if you do feel helpless and are struggling for words to say, maybe you don't need to post. Maybe you don't need to come up with the eloquent, perfect thing to say. Maybe you need to to bring all of this to the God who loves us and the God who, who sees what's going on. Um, all right. Um... Well, let's uh, let's go into presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh yes, yes. quite good, quite good. Indubitably, <laughs> I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes, yes, quite. Yes, quite. Uh, quick update. The latte Nick made is delicious. Well, it's good to know. Yeah. Have you finished it? I have finished it. I'm about halfway done. And I also want to say, okay, like, Nick has, like, passable latte art, too. He can do, like, the little leaf thing or, like, a little heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just nice. Because okay. I can't. Because whenever well, I make a latte, uh, it tastes all right, but it's just, like, a blob. Right. Well, this is good, because I'm hoping that you won't finish it. Well, okay. Why? Penance. Penance? Penance is, on my day off? Wait, How dare you, sir? Wait, You're not you my coffee. spiritual like, this is director. The gr- <laughs> no, but I'm your friend in Christ. Mm, it's true. And your brother in the priesthood. And I'm saying what would be spiritually good for you and for the church, by the mm. way, would be to not take a sip right now. I see. S- sorry, church. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about penance today because like, so... This morning, I was, um, I've been reading um, Balthazar's book on prayer for my spiritual reading the last few weeks, and I've almost done it now. And he, 
he had this little line there when he's talking about some of the practical things about participating in the cross of Christ as, as a contemplative. Mm. And he has like a two, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it's like, it was just like two sentences on penance as being important in the spiritual life. And it got me thinking because I've heard this before from spiritual writers, but I don't really hear it talked about. I tweeted about this a little bit this morning because I was like, I don't really hear this talked about. I don't really hear it preached. But there's a reason spiritual writers keep on emphasizing its importance. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'll give you a little story uh, just to help lighten the mood with this a bit. Uh, yeah, to help story uh, time. Bring you to the point. Story time. It's, it's one of my favorites about Mother Teresa. Um, Mother Teresa, when she would fly, would often get free upgrades to business class she wouldn't ask for it the the, the captain would just give it to her because she's mother, <laughs> you teresa. Know, mother teresa you get business class because you're yes. nice you're a nice lady you get business class yes. i get that yeah she yeah she never sought it out but she never refused she because she doesn't she always felt it was it was improper to refuse a gift mm-hmm. um but one time she was sitting in business class on a, a longer flight and uh she suddenly kind of got up and went to the bathroom she was in there for a long time. Okay. People got worried. You know, she's Mother Teresa, though, too. She's old. She's frail. Yeah. Has something happened to her? So uh, they walk up to the bathroom that they saw her go in. Uh, one of her, one of the other sisters, or a priest, I can't remember who it was. but uh, And they uh, they say to her, and they knock on the door, say, Mother, are you okay? She goes, oh, no, I'm fine. Open the door. <laughs> and there what? she is. There she is cleaning the bathroom. Like, just scrubbing everything, right? And they ask her, Mother, what are you doing? And she says, penance. She was mortifying herself so that the gift of business class didn't allow to, the gift to you know, impede her, her perfection in, in, in her communion with God. And so she did an act of penance in order to ensure sin didn't take hold of her. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, like, and this is... Airplane bathrooms, even in business class, are not um, sanitary places. Well, like bathrooms in general are not fun places to clean. No, but like your home bathroom, it's different. Certainly. You'll feel a lot more comfortable <laughs> doing that than something twenty different people have used for various purposes. Right. So, but this is the whole thing because I think it's something that's really not talked about. We really don't talk about penance. Mm. Right, you get you get your penance at the end of confession, and it's usually something small like do three Hail Marys and blah blah Heck blah. Yeah. Um, um, but we haven't really understood the spiritual value of penance. Now, but, but like, I want before we talk about what is pen, what penance is, what it looks like, and all all the the basics of it. I think there's a real connection between the loss of penance and the loss of a sense of sin. Mm. Right, like, like we were mentioning and uh, and Father Matt's thread there about mass and sacrileges of communion, right? Like that we frequent one thing, but we do not frequent another, right? Um, the lack of the frequency of confession shows a lack of a sense of sin, which then it brings about a lack of a sense to do anything in reparation for sin, mm-hmm. right? So we've really and and again, like we've probably talked about this before at some point i'm sure like there is reasons why the sense of sin got lost it got emphasized in a bad way it got um moralized in a bad way but we threw out the baby with the bathwater, and it hasn't done us any spiritual good mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you an example actually i remember here here at my parish we uh we did a little survey last year and and we just asked people for one part. We just had like any comments and four or five people put in their comments. I'm tired of hearing about sin in the homily. Oh, cause I mentioned it. A, I mentioned it a lot, but I don't mention, but I, but I always mention it. Not like this, like you are a horrible sinner, but I mention it more like it's the thing that cuts us off from God's love. And so love should not want to offend the lover or the beloved, right? It's that simple. It's like, that's the way I talk about sin. I don't talk about like in this guilt inducing way. I just talk about it as an offense against love. You know, I'm glad I'm glad you took a tempered response because my gut reaction was, oh, you're tired about hearing about sin? Well, I'm tired of you sinning. So maybe you stop sinning so much and I'll stop preaching about it. How about that? Yes. 
right. I am very exactly. pastoral exactly. and sensitive. <laughs> exactly. Uh, being a pastor teaches you to be tempered and patient mm, in your responses. Beautiful. So it'll come one day. Well, let's hope um, so. <laughs> so let's, let's just maybe, so I thought it'd be good to talk about penance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does it look like? What is it? Why is it important? What, uh, so yeah, I've got four things. What is penance? Why is it important? What does it look like? And dangers to avoid. You know what? I think uh, along with that problem of people losing a sense of sin or losing a sense of the importance of penance, uh, there's uh, an error that happens on the opposite side. Because it's not preached about or taught about well, there are people who try to seek it out by themselves and they end up making errors of scrupulosity. So without having a spiritual director, without having a uh, properly formed uh, conscience about these things, you can easily go overboard as well. So it's important to talk about. So I'm glad we're talking about it. Yes, this is, uh, yes, we'll talk about scrupulosity at the end. Mm. All right. So that basic question, what is penance? So um, the way I, I would kind of define it is giving up, um, giving up our own selfish will, sacrificing our selfish will, rejecting the reign of sin through actions that uh, contradict its reign in our life and in our body and participating in Christ's cross. So ultimately penance is very much um, connected with sacrifice. This gets you this little connecting thread with, with Matt's uh, tweets there actually, mm-hmm. right? When we, we, when we lost the sense of the mass as a sacrifice, you lose the sense of penance yeah, uh-huh. as a participation in that sacrifice. Yeah. So that's really just, that's penance. It's, it's doing certain actions that are participation in Christ's cross in his sacrifice, which whereby we are cooperating with Christ to overcome the reign of sin and the devil, right? And by giving up our selfish wills in ourselves and so that God's will and grace can reign more perfectly in our life. Yeah. Would you add anything to that? I would say, um, I think there's also a sense that penance becomes a kind of a, a medicine for those who are trapped in vice. So some people, because, because of the, the different vices in their lives, it's hard for them to move to temperance. So let's say I drink, um, you know, seven lattes a day. That's too many lattes. But because I'm, you would be talking very fast. I would be right talking now, very fast. But because I've had so many lattes, I can't heal this by simply having one latte a day. That won't work because I'll end up just going back to four and five and six and seven. What I might need in that situation is to take penance and have no caffeine and deal with the headaches for a few days uh, in order to get back to a a virtuous kind of uh, middle ground. In that, I think sometimes penance is used for that as well right and I, and I would say one more thing with it it's often an action that is in sorrow for our past sins mm-hmm. right it's not it's not it's important to make known right now penance is not something that makes satisfaction for our sins mm. right it only Jesus can make satisfaction for our sins yes. right he's the only one who can satisfy sins debt um but penance is again it's our cooperation and this starts to make a lot of sense when I got to do an ecclesiology episode one day because um, when you understand yourself as incorporating Christ's body and participating in his life, then penance becomes seen as a participation in that cross and an act of the church. And so while we don't make satisfaction on our own, we can participate in Christ's act of satisfaction. Yes. Right. And that's actually really cool. It is. That Christ asks us to cooperate with that. That's, that's one of the, the amazing Catholic things is that we recognize that while God does not need us, he desires, to, uh, he desires for us to be a part of his work. Like he doesn't need Moses to free the Israelites, but it delights him to allow Moses to participate in that. He doesn't need us to participate in what he does, but it delights him that we can be a part of it. So it's, it's really a gift to us that we can, in a small way, be a part of Christ's saving action. It's primarily his action, and it's him, he is the one who saves us, but he allows us to be a part of it. Just like... A, a, was that good? 
Medi- mediation. Mediation. There you go. Right. And like mediation. And you get a like a, a kind of human analogy of this is a, a father who is um wor- like working on a car, and you got a little kid who wants to fix the car, but the kid has no ability to fix the car. But maybe the father lets the kid hold the fa- flashlight. And it's not so much that the kid holding the flashlight is essential to fixing the car, but it delights both the father and the son because it, you, you become a part of that relationship. And if you see it more in those terms, in terms of love and relationship, it makes more sense. If you look at it in terms of like a math equation or if you, if you pull that relational aspect out of it, it begins to lose its power and its meaning. Yeah, well, this is good. This is a good little segue because this gets us. This is starting to get into why is penance important, mm-hmm. right? And what you're talking about, this delight of God in us and wanting us to, he, while He doesn't need us, He desires us in His delight and love for us to participate in His saving works, comes from also. But it's also like it's also purposeful in that He He desires us to be transformed, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to go off on a little theological tangent for a second um, because there's. There's kind of two main themes in regards to the theories of how Jesus saves us, okay? In Protestantism, there is a tendency towards what we call the forensic theory, okay? And by this, we mean that Jesus just covers us, right? Uh, You know, there's debates that Luther actually call the human person a dung heap of which snow covers it or whatever. But that is essentially, though, Luther's view, this idea that... that, um, God doesn't actually see the sin. It's just kind of covered in Christ. But nothing changes. Nothing changes, right? While for us, we believe in a view of of, of redemption as a transformation that God, in all of his power, actually desires not just to heal our relationship with him, but to actually divinize us Mm -hmm. right and to bring us into union with him and to transform us so that nothing of sin remains and so you start to already see a connection with purgatory right purgatory is part of the transformative process Mm -hmm. right if things are forensic of course you don't need purgatory right you're covered in the blood no one needs you don't need to go through a purgative process but the divine love loves us so much that he actually says, no, I don't even want the effect of sin to remain. Mm. I want you to be completely transformed. So this is, this is where penance comes in. It's, it's Jesus drawing us into the way of transformation, right? And so when we do penance, we are making up for our past sins in a limited way, obviously, right? Like uh, the way I kind of, I was, the analogy I always like to use when, we, when you've talked about, like, I think we've talked about indulgence. I may have even used this analogy before. Like if I punched you in the face, if I punched you in the right. eye, you know, you'd have a black eye. Mm-hmm. And but you're merciful. Obviously. Um, obviously. And you would, you would forgive me. I would. Yes. But the black eye would still remain. Yes. The effect of my sin would still be there. And so I'd have to get you a nice big frozen steak to put over the eye and all these things. Maybe take you out for a nice dinner to say <laughs> I'm sorry and all these things to heal the relationship and to transform things to being maybe not, maybe even better than they were before. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is the whole point. So we have to do things though to, we have to participate in Christ's act of transformation in us. His sacrifice. His incarnation is there to transform us. And so penance becomes a way of us participating in this act of transformation. It's really us saying, I, I assent to Jesus' work in me. And I'm going to, with his grace, remove the things from my life that hinder my relationship with him. And at the same time, I'm even going to take on some extra things out of sorrow for my past sins. Not because it makes up for them but in a participation with his saving work in the church to make up, as uh, St. Paul likes to say, to make up for what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. And this is another thing. It's not just about you. Like this is, you know, I think part of the reason we've seen penance in such a negative light is it's become too, it became too individualistic and removed from the ecclesiological foundation, right? Where, you know, that phrase from Paul about making up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. We even do penance for our brother and sister, for those who might be far away from God, for those in purgatory, 
out of love for them. You see, penance ultimately is an act of love. And finally, um, it's important because it brings the flesh under dominion. Now, don't freak out when I say this, but like because it's not saying the body is bad. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a Pauline phrase. Paul uses the word flesh to talk about uh, the the reign of sin in ourselves. And so it's about bringing that that reign under dominion so that the redeemed body, the redeemed person can be fully alive. So that those are the main reasons I kind of came up with why penance is important. Do you have anything to add that you would think of why penance is important or anything to comment on any of those things? There is a certain sense. Um, I want to phrase the right way. If I do it incorrectly, you can fix it because that's your job. Uh, but um, a part of this about taking on penance, it goes into um, the aspect of, of intercession. Like even in the, uh, the Old Testament, there's a, a feeling that part of the reason why God didn't destroy Israel is because Moses was a faithful servant. Because Moses took on some of that suffering and Moses interceded for them. There's a sense that's going on in that where our actions do, God allows our actions to actually take, have a real effect in people's lives. So like you're fasting and praying for the loved one who is uh, away from the faith. God allows that action to actually change that other person or actually influence them in some way allows the grace to enter into their lives. So like God, it's not just, um, it's not just play acting. God makes it more powerful than that precisely because what we do is united with Christ. No, exactly. Like this whole thing about like, yeah, that intercession is, it all kind of leans into this idea that because we are part of the church, we are united to Christ and we participate in him who is the great intercessor. Right? So this is the whole point is that everything with penance, everything with prayer is really a participation with Christ. Mm-hmm. And when it's a participation with Christ, it's not something I'm doing on my own, but it's actually part of his act of love that we are really actually like you are participating with his cross, right? Because what is the cross but his intercession for all of humanity mm-hmm. to be redeemed and brought into right relationship with God again, right? What is the cross but an act of sacrifice, of emptying oneself for the sake of another? And so that's where penance comes in too, right? Like this, this idea like I am emptying myself. It's a real extension of the cross. Because now, because we just celebrated Pentecost, right? It's the sending of the Holy Spirit. It's the universalizing of Jesus' mission, so that what Jesus did in particular, he now does universally in the life of the church. And now he extends the power of his cross through us into the world. And that's where penance comes in. It's an it's an act of crucifixion mm-hmm. because it's an act of love. Right. Yeah. Do we want to do, oh, do you have another thing? Oh, I I mean, I have, yeah, but I got things. Oh, okay. Because I was going to, like, uh, as we wrap up, do you want to talk about some practical penances? Well, or do you um, want to say I, yes, I was just literally just about to go into what does penance look like? Okay, good, good, good. Nick, you fix that to make <laughs> us sound like we're on the same page. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What is so? Our last two things now, quickly, because we it's a bit of a longer podcast today, but that's okay. What does penance look like, and dangers to be avoided? So, uh, practically, um, Jesus gives us a template with. Um, in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving as acts by which we, um, we allow ourselves to, we deny ourselves for the sake of another. Okay. Those are all good. But I want to talk, I want to talk a little bit more about um, intentional suffering. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think this is where, in the realm of penance, it's often ignored. Now, I'm not talking about going out and getting um, getting tools of penance to beat yourself with. Yeah. Uh, okay. Please don't do this. Um, but I mean more like, so for example, let's say you're suffering with gluttony. A practical, intentional suffering is to say, I'm not going to have snacks on Fridays. Mm -hmm. That's a great first step. And it's an act of penance. Why? Because you want snacks. If you are struggling with gluttony, you want to snack. Um, And so it's a first step. It's it's an act to say, I am willing to intentionally suffer. Or 
where you start to fast out of, not for your own sake, but out of penance for those who are far away from Christ. Um, taking on extra devotions in prayer to pray for others. Um, sacrificing sometimes more of your income so that those who have nothing have something, right? These are all intentional sufferings. You know, it's it's true. We, Yes, we. I mean, we all have sufferings. We all have people and things that are thrown in our lives, and that's what I'd call unintentional suffering, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's coming at you whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Those are penances too, but I think there's something towards the unintended or the intended suffering that I think got lost and I think needs to be more um, intentionally brought up. But I say this all in the sense that you should talk to your spiritual director or your confessor if you're trying to wonder what things to take on. I mean, there's, there is a myriad of things one can do for penances and we have to be careful and that'll lead us to the dangers here in a second. But, um, we have to be careful about trying to do too much too quickly because it, it, it can lead to all sorts of dangers. And it can lead to the opposite of what you're trying to do because it's very possible to take on a penance and make that penance a source of pride in your life where you think you are doing something heroic, that you become proud of this penance you are taking on. And that's going to do, that's gonna have like the exact opposite effect of what penance is supposed to be. You know, and so penance should look humble it should look quiet it in a likelihood will look small uh to the outside world uh and sometimes even that the having the humility to take on a small penance by crucifying your pride you're actually adding to that penance exactly yeah yeah so i don't want to give out too many things because like i said there's just a myriad of things but there's some um there's there's a tons of good material there to read on on different things uh but just start to think about what can i do intentionally out of love for others that would be a cross for me mm-hmm. and choose one thing and start there yeah. one thing so this leads us to the final point you know dangers to be avoided because <laughs> i think there's there's um you have kind of two extremes, and we and guess what and and do what and guess what we're all going to fall into them, and that's okay. That's part of the learning process yeah. and maturing in our faith. Okay, on the one side you have what I'd call like scrupulosity and Pelagianism. Okay, and the other side you have like a laxadaical or presumptive um, approach. Right. So scrupulosity is um, how do I want to put it? It's it's exercising justice without mercy on oneself. <laughs> and uh, if it is one way to put it, it's this idea that everything has to be perfect all the time. Right. And that, and that if I, if I didn't pray my Hail Mary with perfect attention, then I'm going to hell. <laughs> right. Or like uh, putting the, the pain of sin on these penances or lack thereof. So let's say uh, on Wednesday and uh, Friday, you decide not to have any snacks. And that one Wednesday, you you had a bunch of snacks. And then all of a sudden, you think you're in mortal sin because of that. Uh, that's, th- that's showing a kind of scrupulosity, uh, that these extra penances don't bind under the pain of sin. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's why I bring in Pelagianism. Pelagianism is this idea that we can earn our own salvation. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's a heresy in the church. Yes. Right? This idea that, and this is how sometimes people look at Catholics as doing penance. They're doing these 20 things to earn their way to heaven. Right. And no. And I think we can do a good good for people, a great good for people by showing them, no, we're not, I'm not doing this to earn my own salvation. I'm doing this out of love for another mm-hmm. or for my loved ones or to bring them back to the church or whatever it might be. Um, but it can, we can build up this mentality that I need to do X, Y, and Z to gain God's favor. And that's not a healthy approach to penance either. On the other side, and this is where I think, I I mean, scrupulosity and Pelagianism exists, but I think it's in the minority compared to the lackadaisical or presumptive. Yeah. Right? I don't need to do anything. I don't need to do anything because, or, um, you know, God saved me. I'm good. Right? Or I'm going to go to heaven regardless of what I've done. Mm that's that's and what I think is lacking in both, and that, and it shows you that they're really both expressions of the same thing. Is both of them lack 
the union of love with Christ. If that makes sense. Because with the first one, we do not see Christ's love working on us. And the second one um, sees love in such a banal form that it... um, it doesn't. It, it, there's no desire on our part to cooperate with his his loving action mm-hmm. in the world. That's and those are both dangers. And and like I said, but don't beat yourself up if you fall into them. Right. That's part of learning. And you confess it, and you bring it to your spiritual director or whatever, and you work on that. Penance, in the end, is an expression of our love for Christ, for the Holy Trinity, for ourselves, and for the world. And it's a really, at the heart of it, it's a participation in Christ's cross, whereby we are doing particular acts to make up, to participate in Jesus's expiation of sin and trying to bring about the reign of grace over the reign of sin. Christ is continuing to extend his cross through the world, through the church, to the world, through the church and through us, thereby trying to bring an end to the devil and the definitive reign of Christ. When we enter into penance authentically and with great exuberance and with great love, it can do a myriad of good for the world and for the church. Cool. Yeah? Yeah. Awesome. I have a feeling while while he's had his latte, I think uh, it hasn't kicked in yet. No, it's it's good. I feel good, but also <laughs> you, I'm, you look tired. You look you look tired. I mentioned in uh, 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 I think off air, if you will, that I, I'm recording in Nick's attic, which is a finished attic, is where I sleep and everything. Oh right, it's also it's so a hot. million degrees up here because I've turned off the AC, <laughs> and so, so I'm, that's why I'm you're not tired. Like, here. I'm just melting and dying, and doing penance okay. for everyone who's listening right now which is going to make it the best episode ever. And so to add to his penance, I'm now going to talk for another hour. Oh, no. It's too much penance. <laughs> no, I need to talk no, to my no, spiritual no, director okay. about this. <laughs> okay. Uh, so thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, please, you can find us on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, all those podcast places. Please leave a review and tell your friends about the podcast because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me drinking a lot of lattes. In the attic. In the attic. <laughs> You can find the podcast at ClericalPod on Twitter. You can email us, clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and on all those great places. And we will see you all next week. God bless. Peace.